Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie Omero, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So we, it's pretty exciting here in D.C. Kristen is traveling, but we have new digs and we have new help. We promised that we were going to look for professional help, and we found some, which is good. So Richard is here. He is sitting right next to me. And Kristen, I wish you were here because not only do we have, like, swanky digs with, like, real pop filters, which is, like, a major improvement, egg carton wall thing, and on top of that, the gals who were here before us who told me about Richard, it's another bipartisan show called Dame, Dame It All to Hell, and they, they, they like split a bottle of rosé during their show. <laughs> there's like, a, there's like, I think it's a pilsner glass with rosé in it, which is not quite right. But there's, there, nonetheless, that sounds right to me. That sounds, <laughs> that's perfect. right. So that's that's what was going on before we started. So we'll be able to have like a real microphone, real setup, and be able to look each other. And just, you know, be downtown. It's good. So um, so when you come back next week, you will get to meet Richard and be in our new fancy digs. I am so excited. But yeah. until then, we have some polls to discuss. Yes. So this week's top lines. Uh, first, we're going to talk a little bit about trust in Trump. Uh, in Trump, do we trust? We'll talk about his job approval ratings and when he goes toe-to-toe with the media or other companies, things like that. Where are people putting their trust? Then we'll talk about the opioid epidemic and its impact on America. Um, some new polling on the gun issue. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about in energy and environment, since I believe Earth Day is coming up. And finally, baseball. Right now, while I'm here in Austin on this business trip, my friends are at op- the home opener for the Nationals, and I'm very sad that I'm not there with them. So we're going to talk about baseball to close the show. But first, the poll of the week. Uh, this, I believe it was yesterday. Well, I should, I hesitate to say things like yesterday because by the time someone listens to this episode, who knows when it'll be. But this week marked the anniversary of um, the assassination of MLK. Uh, so we've got some fresh polling here from APNORC about race relations in the U.S. Margie, what did we find? Well, I mean, it's very consistent with what we've seen in a lot of polling, which is this massive, massive difference between white and black perceptions and experiences with racism. Um, And also about uh, and so we see that we've seen that now for a while. It's obviously gotten worse under Trump, um, given the rhetoric that he has inflamed um, the, the one to the extent that there's any agreement between whites and blacks. It's on the perception that things are not going well in terms of race relations. So you have about half of adults who say that race relations are worse than about a year ago. Forty five percent of whites, 65 percent of blacks. That's more or less some agreement or, or at least some similar responses. Um, 
very much, though, differences in views on um, the how well blacks are treated in one's community. Uh, Among whites, you have two thirds who say they're, you know, blacks are treated about the same as whites, but only 18 percent of blacks feel that way. I mean, that is a massive difference. And, you know, that's really I mean, it's interesting, right, because you have you have blacks reporting on their own experiences of how they're treated, right? And then you have whites having a completely different perspective. And and who is right? Is it the person who is perceiving how they're treated or is the person perceiving how they're treating others? Um, but that's that's a staggering, staggering difference. Um, there, there's also some other polling, and folks should go check it out, about who they feel has a, an advantage or a disadvantage in life. Um, and some and some clear differences there in terms of uh, the groups that people feel have large or some advantages. Um, there at least, there is some consistency between whites and blacks that men have an advantage. You know, sixty two percent of whites, sixty five percent of blacks think that men have some sort of advantage. Um, but uh, among whites, if you ask about do African Americans have an advantage or neither advantage nor disadvantage or some large disadvantage. Uh, you have fewer than half of whites say that blacks have some disadvantage, but 80 percent of blacks feel that way. So, again, I mean, this is just just magnifies what we've been seeing now for a while. It's pretty troubling. It's it doesn't seem to be getting better when you when you see consistent uh, inflaming of racial tensions coming out of the White House. You know, I saw Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you know, read the I Have a Dream speech from the podium. I heard it on the radio, so maybe she didn't do it from the podium. Maybe she did someplace else. But um, it's, you know, it, it's just it's just not credible to hear um, that the that the White House is really interested in f- fixing or trying to address this problem. Um, I think it's from the same poll. Yes, yeah, same poll. Do you think Donald Trump is a racist or is not a racist? Again, kind of an, a wild question to ask. Um, among blacks, 84 percent feel that the president is a racist. I mean, that's a sad, terrible reality that that that's that that's the perception uh, among whites. It's basically it's just about even 47 percent of whites, 51 percent of 47 uh, percent of whites feel he's racist and 51 percent say he's not. In this poll, they also broke things out about how much progress has been made in achieving equal treatment for African-Americans in a bunch of different areas and huge difference between white and black respondents in the poll um, on each of the areas mentioned. So it's not just, you know, have we achieved equality? Okay, well, what there's a lot of stuff loaded into that. And you find that on something like uh, equal economic opportunities, only 9% of uh, black respondents think that we've made a great deal or a lot of progress on access to equal economic opportunities. For white respondents, it's 30 points higher, 39% say a great deal or a lot of progress. And the gap tends to be about 30 points where you'll have, you know, uh, 12% of black respondents say, yes, we've had a great deal or a lot of progress on say, something like fair coverage by the media. And that 12 percent turns into 43 percent when you just look at the white respondents. Um, the areas where the gaps tend are, are the biggest uh, are ones where you wind up having uh, access to good health care is one where the gap is pretty big. Only 17 percent of black respondents think there's been a great deal or a lot of progress on that front compared to a majority of white respondents. Um, and the area where both black and white respondents think that there has been the most progress has been voting rights. But again, there it's 
about two thirds of white respondents, but only a third of black respondents think that we've made a lot of progress on ensuring equal voting rights. So very different perceptions of progress based on your race and your experience. Yeah. I mean, if folks who want to think through or or read a little bit more, we didn't talk about it when it came out. I think it was a week or two weeks ago, but the New York Times upshot had this really incredible study where they compared, I don't have it in front of me now, but it was t- I think 10,000 different p- kids over time to see their upward mobility and compared um, uh, black boys to white boys in the same kinds of socioeconomic groupings with parents with this, you know, controlling for other kinds of uh, education, income and other factors. Um, and that there was a real difference in mobility between black boys and white boys, even at the top of the socioeconomic uh, ladder that you didn't see among if you were comparing black boys, black girls and white girls. It really just existed among men. The only places where you didn't really see that difference are places you know, right near right near where I live. So Silver Spring uh, area of Montgomery County, only a few neighborhoods really in the whole country um, where you didn't see that gap. Um, if you think these numbers are sobering or troubling, there was a poll from 1968. Um, it's kind of amazing to think of somebody having to write these answer categories and then somebody volunteering them. Um, here's a question. This was from, uh, I guess this was from Roper. No, NORC from the Roper files uh, that Ariel Edwards-Levy circulated for, for the good of all of us to see. When you heard the news of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., which one of the things listed on the card was your strongest reaction? Sadness, anger, shame, fear, felt he brought it on himself. 31% said felt he brought it on himself, which, I mean, it seems just like a staggering, staggeringly high number. Yeah, I always, I mean, these, it is always shocking to dive into the archives and see, like, in a way, it's almost as though the questions that get asked in some of these 50-year-old polls tell us as much about what was going on in America at that time as the answers themselves. Like, the, the fact, A, that a pollster back then needed to include that, and two, that it was the second highest answer category is just jaw-dropping. Right. I mean, can you imagine if you, you know, trying to figure out how what answer categories to include? And so, like, was there like a brainstorming session to figure out those answer categories? Did someone say, oh, you know what we need? We need felt he brought it out himself. Did somebody, anybody say, well, of course we can't have that. I mean, you know, just to the backstory of how these questions get developed would be fascinating. So jumping back to the present moment then, we've already talked a little bit about President Trump. Um, His job approval currently sits at 42 percent, pretty stable since uh, around the start of February. Uh, And there's some fresh polling out of Monmouth that takes a look at the clash between Trump and various news organizations. And they also have some data that compares where people stand now on who do you trust more Uh, Trump or various news outlets and where things stood back a year ago. So on the question of who do you trust more, CNN or Donald Trump, uh, CNN has a slight advantage. Uh, 48% of people choose CNN, 35% of people choose Donald Trump, 13% say I trust both about equally, which can either mean that they trust them both a lot or they trust them both not at all. 
so I suppose good news for CNN because they are more trusted than anything else that is tested. On the other hand, if you are a reporter at CNN, you are probably appalled that it's not 100%. Um, the, I'm fascinated by this question, who do you trust more, Fox News or Donald Trump? Right. You have a ton of people there who say, I trust both about equally um, among Democrats. 36% say, I trust both about equally. Presumably, it's because they don't trust either one. Republicans, 40% say, I trust both about equally. Presumably, it's because they trust both. Um, but if you have to choose... Republicans by a 35 to 21 margin pick Donald Trump over Fox News, where Democrats trust Fox News, 39% trust Fox News more than Donald Trump. <laughs> I am so amused by this finding. You have no idea. I mean, it, it, right? That is quite funny. I mean, the Republicans who, who think, yeah, I trust Trump more than Fox, I guess, I, you know, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, because there's still like some things that Fox News puts out, like the weather that I assume tend to be, you know, adhere basically to what what the news should say. Um, while Trump really is not, you know, I don't even think he's right. He's not even a clock that's right twice a day as far as I'm concerned. And then Democrats, do you think Democrats were looking at this question like, ugh? Which is it? <laughs> Do I trust Trump more? Do I trust Fox more? And you have 39 percent of Democrats who say I trust Fox more. And then 8 percent mm -hmm. of Democrats who trust Trump more think, um, you know, I, I guess they're just they just, you know, try to figure out who they dislike more and come down on the side that most of them dislike Trump more than they dislike Fox, I guess. Yep. There's also a question in this poll about fake news, uh, which is, of course, a term that has become even more in circulation in the last year. Uh, so in March of 2017, they asked, do you think some online news websites ever report fake news stories or not? Uh, and you had 41 percent of people back last March say yes regularly. And you had 39 percent of people say yes occasionally. Uh, then fast forward to this year, the yes regularly number goes up to 52 percent. And the yes occasionally number sort of stays the same at 34 percent. The big jumps here. So independents, their views are about the same. Uh, it's Democrats, actually, where you went from 25 to 39 percent saying, yes, some online news websites report fake news stories. And for Republicans, it went from 47 percent to 66 percent. So a huge jump with Republicans and a pretty sizable jump with Democrats. Now, I assume this is where uh, focus groups come in handy. You know, I, it would be interesting to know why do people think this is happening? I assume the Democrats think that these online news websites reporting fake news stories is, you know, Russian bots pushing stuff about Hillary Clinton's emails. And Republicans think it's online news websites reporting stuff about the president that is salacious and false. So I assume that the reason those numbers have gone up for both Republicans and Democrats are for very different reasons. Um, when you also ask on this question of do you think that this is these websites are pushing these stories on purpose to push an agenda or more because of an accident and poor reporting um, on this one, independents and Democrats, their answers have not changed much over the last year. But for Republicans, a belief that fake news is spread with like intentional malice in order to push an agenda um, has gone up to about 74 percent. So uh that's there's a, a big shift in people not just thinking, oh, well, sometimes fake news gets reported because of sloppy reporting, but right. Republicans thinking, no, it's because 
people want to push an agenda. They're, they're hatching up a plan to push out fake news. I mean, the, the thing that's interesting is that even the Republicans have gone up a little bit in feeling that fake news is, you know, there's an agenda behind fake news. Still, the, the party differences are not as massive here as they would be if we were asking, OK, is this story fake news or is this real news? Is this outlet fake news or is this outlet more real news? Then you'd see completely mirror opposite responses. But on the question of is there malice behind fake fake news, you know, there there's a lot more agreement and agreement in a way that's, you know, that's kind of disturbing that the, the challenge with all these media questions, it's not even just fake news or media bias. It's even just perceptions of where you're getting your news and what kind of news consumption do you do you typically have and, you know, what you find trustworthy and so on. Anything, anything like that, really basically any type of news consumption type of question requires a whole lot more questions than we typically see in public polling because it, it's hard for people to know exactly what they're looking at and recall it quickly, you know, accurately. And there are just so many different questions you need to get through just to categorize where people, you know, where people are, where people live in their media world that it's hard to know what people are responding to. We're just kind of making assumptions. It's not to disparage these questions. It's just the nature of trying to capture media consumption. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they also have some questions in here about social media. So how much are social media sites like Facebook and YouTube responsible for the spread of fake news Um, here? It does not look like they asked this question back in 2017. I would be very interested um, to see if those numbers would change. But there's actually very little disagreement by party on this question. Anytime there's a question where there's not really an interesting party breakdown, that to me is interesting. Um, And here you have, you know, about three out of 10 people, regardless of party, say that social media platforms are mostly responsible for the spread of fake news, while about two thirds say uh, they're partly responsible, but other media sources are more responsible for for the spread of Uh, I wonder if this is different. I wonder if this would be different now than it was when this poll was taken. Oh, yeah, because I guess this was taken prior to uh, was this taken prior to Cambridge Analytica funsies? I don't know. But, you know, and then you I mean, even just last night, we're recording on Thursday. Just yesterday, there was news about the Facebook breach being even larger than had initially been reported. I mean, every day there's sort of additions to it. Plus, you have also the tragic YouTube shooting, which I think, you know, had people focus on YouTube in the last couple of days. So, um, so which yes. on the on the Cambridge Analytics story, by the way, one thing that made me uh, chuckle today a little bit is I guess it's being reported that Tinder, uh, the for those of you who have not been single for the last decade or so, who may be unfamiliar with what Tinder is, the uh I, I would say dating app, but if this wasn't a podcast and this was a video, I'd be making like quick scare quotes with my hands, <laughs> dating app. Um, so I guess it's integrated with Facebook and part of how it works, according to this article, I am not a user, is that it like knows who your friends are and hooks you, tries to hook you up with people who are like a degree or two away via friends, which means that this app has to ingest a lot of data, which is exactly what the Facebook apps did that then led to all that data being in Cambridge Analytica's hands and researchers' hands and so on and so forth, that apparently in trying to correct for all of this Cambridge Analytica stuff, Facebook broke Tinder last night. (laughs) So somebody tweeted that, like, this is the strangest butterfly effect thing you can imagine, that, like, the Mercer family forcing the Donald Trump to use a particular analytics firm 
therefore meant that like you this can't hook up tonight. people are you can't hook up today <laughs> so that's going to be echelon's new motto like <laughs> We behave ethically and we won't break Tinder. Like, hire us. We won't break Tinder. We won't. Um, you know, it's funny. At, at one of one of the, there was a party that you had, and and like I don't remember what somebody was saying to me. I was like, oh, you should use that in your uh, your Tinder profile or something. Which I've never been on Tinder. It's all sort of before my time. As a you know, that we didn't have such such fancy technology back in the you know the the like caveman days when I was single, but um. But anyway, whoever it was that I was talking to looked at me like, like, I am not on, like, how dare you? (laughs) How dare you talk about such salacious things at this very serious event or something like that? At least that that was how I felt. (laughs) But anyway, I'm probably overthinking it. Um, Okay, so... So that's, you know, that's the news in Trump. Um, He's had a pretty volatile week in tweets, but, you know, in the end, status unchanged in terms of his where he is and his image. Um, So meanwhile, we have a we have more issue polling that's come out this week, um, giving a little bit of a Trump break. And uh, it was another AP and ORC poll. And this just came out this morning. Uh, on opioid addiction. And it's something that is obviously really important, not just in, uh, you know, key states that you continue to hear about, but really all over the country. And what I think this poll um, captures, it captures a couple things. And one that I think is pretty staggering is how many people say that somebody close to them has taken a prescription painkiller without a prescription, been addicted to alcohol or drugs other than uh, painkillers. You're talking about 40 percent roughly for those two uh, items. Um, you have a quarter say that somebody close to them, a close friend or loved one or themselves have been addicted to pa- prescription painkillers or heroin. You have 17 percent saying even once taken any drugs by injection with a needle, not including under a doctor's orders. I mean, this is pretty – those are pretty staggeringly high Numbers, 15 percent say they know someone close to them has received emergency medical treatment due to drug use. I mean, these are these are very, very high numbers. I was really amazed by how high these numbers were. And what I'd be interested in in knowing a little more about is, you know, I just, you know, heard a talk about this this morning. I'm I'm at a conference and, you know, someone mentioned that that what's, what's what's striking about this current epidemic is that it is widespread in the sense that, you know, we have had drug epidemics in the past in America that have been very concentrated in poor communities, in racial or ethnic minority communities that have been devastating and tragic um, and have really been focused on a particular group of people. That with the opioid crisis, it's it's not, um, that it is widespread and it is everywhere and it is whether you are the kid of a you know very rich family or you are a kid in a very poor neighborhood that this is something that is touching people uh, across the spectrum so i would be interested in a whole host of different cross tabs on this one yeah um the other thing that i thought the survey did that was interesting is it asks people their views about whether addiction is a disease or a character flaw um which is something that you know chris christie who i know is controversial for a thousand different reasons and is now also my colleague at ABC News. Uh, He, you know, made a big deal of saying, look, we need to be treating addiction like um, a disease that needs treatment, not something that is criminal that needs to be punished. Um, And, you know, that was a part of what he talked about on the campaign trail. 
And, you know, is addiction a disease uh, or character flaw? You know, to what extent do they, would they say they would be willing uh, to let someone uh, voluntarily, you know, imagining someone who has an, uh, some sort of addiction, would you be okay with like allowing them to marry into your family, uh, keeping them as a friend, live next door? Very few people say yeah. they would be willing to have someone who is experiencing addiction to marry into their family. Um, a majority don't want to work with someone on the job who is experiencing this. Um, it's it's pretty dramatic uh, when you see how people sort of they they may say, look, uh, you know, if uh, I if someone's you know they're experiencing a medical problem that requires treatment, you know, it's 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 okay, but uh, I don't want. I, I, I wouldn't want my daughter marrying someone who's experiencing this, which, which you, right. you know, and I don't even know that I think that's an uncompassionate right. answer to give. Cause you, you know, you want for your family, you know, happiness and you want as little drama and sadness as possible. And addiction is, is, is sad. Um, but so I, I, I was torn on how to view this. Is this like, it's, well, people aren't very compassionate. You would want to exclude someone who's suffering from addiction from your family, on the other hand, is it, well, this brings a lot of sadness to families. And if your family can be spared that, wouldn't you prefer that? Right, right. So, and and I don't think it's all pasted in quite the right order, but the top graph here where they said, it's trying to assess whether or not people think it's a disease, here's the setup. They they actually gave, it's interesting in the question formulation, they gave a lot of explanation here. So I would like you to imagine a person who often takes opioid pills without a prescription. The person experiences cravings for pills and will sometimes feel sick if they go too long without taking them. The person is aware that their use of opioids is interfering with their life but has been unable to stop. How likely do you think it is that that person is experiencing a medical problem that requires treatment? A majority say extremely or very likely. And then they had some other ones. How likely do you think it is that that person is experiencing a problem that resulted from a lack of willpower or discipline? There you have 44 percent. Or experiencing a mental illness or inherited problem, a little bit lower. Experiencing a problem that was caused by their own bad character or the way that they were raised. A third agree with that. Um, And then they had another question, experiencing the normal ups and downs of life. You have about a third who say that that seems extremely or very likely in that case. And there's probably some overlap here. I'm sure there are medical professionals who would say these are, you know, these are not, these are mutually exclusive. Like if it's a medical problem that requires treatment, it's, it's, you know, that's, that's uh, separate from some of these other categories. But for, I bet for some people, they may see some of these things as related. And to your earlier point, are however you answer these questions of is addiction a disease or a character flaw, how does that relate to whether or not you would be willing to have that person be part of your family? And I think for some people, those two, those two items may be related. For others, they may not be related. Yeah, I, I, I just anytime people ask a question where they've it, it gets into stuff that's sort of so nuanced about people reflecting on what their own personal hypothetical behavior would be. I, I just think it's always very interesting. The, the, a challenge with research like this is that it's sometimes hard for people to accurately assess how they would feel um, in these circumstances. Um, it, I think it's hard for people to project out their future behavior. Right. Um, but the fact that even on these questions, you have you know three quarters of people who sort of accept or uh, confess that like, yeah, I, I would not be willing to to like I, I would want to keep this or that person far away from my life in these following ways. 
is is both heartbreaking, but just from a research perspective, also, you know, it's it's just a fascinating series of questions to ask. Right. Right. And we don't see a lot uh, on this publicly. I'm sure there's there's, you know, tons and tons of data that uh, academic and scientific researchers are doing, um, you know, medical researchers, but there hasn't been as much that's been blasted out into our world. So thank you, AP and ORC folks, for sharing this stuff with us. So it's Earth Day, Kristen, soon-ish, um, and we're celebrating with polling, I guess. <laughs> what again? Yeah, what I'm, did... I'm excited. Well, I wanted to celebrate Earth Day by finally planting all my peppers in my garden, mm. and I'm sure that the soil is like 45 degrees still. I mean, it's cold and gross in D.C., and which is why I'm excited to be in Texas right now, although oh, I'm about I'm to fly so, back. I'm but, so jealous. And so, so Richard, by the way, also lives in Austin. We are both very jealous that you are in Austin and we are here. Studio's nice and all, but I would like to be in Austin right now. It's 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 pretty good times. But that, that's how I wanted to celebrate Earth Day was finally planting my peppers in the ground. And I know that if I plant them in the ground, it's going to snow this weekend and they're all going to die. And I'm going to be very sad. So I don't, I don't know how I'm long you're there. celebrating Earth Day a few weeks it, from now. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's fair enough. I don't know how long you're in Austin. I don't know if they still do Eeyore's birthday. <laughs> Eeyore's birthday. Richard knows. I don't know if this is like if Kristen, you know, our joke that Kristen does Margie's like college college experience and like crammed into her business trip, like <laughs> after first checking in with her, you know, like all her representation and doing a medical checkup and, you know, making sure all your paperwork is in order. And Eeyore's birthday party would definitely be on that list. But, I, you know, in, in today's world of Instagram and Twitter, I, pro I probably would advise you to not go if that's still around. But it is around now. It is kind of like an April-ish thing. So, Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online, so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. So yeah, if you look at the Gallup data going back to 1992, all the way through until pretty much the financial crisis, you have you know high 50s, low 60s percent saying the government's doing too little to protect the environment. And then after the financial crisis uh, and with the rise of the Tea Party, you see this gap narrow. It goes from being 4% saying that the government does too much and 62% say the government does too little to suddenly you gain about 10 points on the too much number, about 15% say the government's doing too much and only 46% saying the government's doing too little. And that sort of stays the norm through about 2016 and then the gap begins widening out. And now in 2018, the numbers look about like they did in 2006, where you're in single digits on people saying that the government does too much on the environment, and you're back up to 62% of people saying the government does too little. Yeah, I mean, I don't have the cross-tabs handy. I, I suspect that there's a lot of Democrats, you know, worrying about what we're doing. But these numbers are – this isn't just from party, too, because these numbers are so high and been so consistently pretty high, you know – the too little dwarfing, the too much in in every year, even the year where the gap had narrowed a little bit. And it, it almost, you know, it doesn't really reflect the conversation or the dialogue where it's, you know, environmentalists who want to, you know, want all these 
strong protections and people rebelling against you know the over over you know overzealous uh, environmental regulations, but the percentage of people who really felt like we were doing too much is, has always been so small, um, and you would not necessarily know that given the conversation that you know that people were having, sort of like thinking back to spotted owl days from the mid '90s. Um, Gallup also has this other question that also goes back to is that '84, 1984, um, about uh, comparing the protecting the environment versus economic growth, right? So which one of these statements about the environment do you most agree? Protection of the environment should be given priority, even at the risk of curbing environment economic growth, or economic growth should be given priority, even if the environment suffers to some extent. So now you have a, a majority, and we've had this before, but not necessarily as consistently recently, a majority saying we should be focusing on the environment. And that could be partly due to, you know, some optimism rebounding about the economy generally, because where you had the economic growth answer category higher was right after, you know, during and after the recession. But it also could be related to this worry, probably disproportionately among Democrats, that we're not doing enough on the environment generally, especially now with Trump and Paris and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but Folks on the left would look at this question. I know it's tracking from 1984, so it's useful to see how people have changed. But folks on the left would say, well, this concedes a point that environmentalists would say is not true, that we need to choose, that we need to pick. Have we decided we we are prioritizing the environment over the economy or are we going to prioritize the economy over the environment? And environmentalists would say, we don't need to make that decision. There are ways we can do both. There are ways that um, protecting the environment can help and create High-tech jobs can help make it easier for businesses to do business if things can move more smoothly, um, if you don't have you know, areas under threat from water and climate damage and so on. I mean, there's, there's lots of – I don't want to get into policy detail, but there's lots of ways that, that uh, you can make the case that protecting the environment actually has an environmental benefit – I mean, economic benefit and that this question sets up a division that plays into – the the you know an anti environmental regulation position, even though the question well, is designed in a neutral way. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's also that not all environmental policies are the same. Like there are definitely some environmental policies that would be economically damaging for for sure. So it's not that they're the trade off that this question talks about is a real thing. But there are also I think environmental policies that do have the ability to do what you're talking about. And so when this in subsequent questions, they sort of break down then different policies that people can support or oppose. And you find something like spending more government money on developing solar and wind power. A majority of Republicans say that they favor that, Um, you know, setting higher emissions and pollution standards for business and industry. 61% of Republicans agree with that. Um, So you wind up where you've got like a majority of Republicans supporting a fairly significant number of these policies that are tested. The one that, that that Republicans really balk at is passing a carbon tax to encourage reductions in carbon dioxide emissions. And that one is among the weakest with um, Democrats and independents as well. Now, something like nuclear energy is one where, you know, there are also, if you're, if you're, Number one question when it comes to the environment is reducing carbon emissions. Nuclear energy is a great way to do that. But of course, there are other concerns that people raise. And so 
technically expanding the use of nuclear energy is a policy that would massively reduce carbon emissions. However, Republicans are the most supportive of it at 60 percent, whereas for Democrats, huge drop off, only 37 percent say, yes, let's expand the use of nuclear energy. Every time I see that question, I think about SimCity and how if in SimCity you built a nuclear power plant like and you didn't change your settings, like there was a risk that your plant could melt down and you'd have these little like atom figures all over your map and it was bad. You didn't want that. <laughs> not, not great. Not great. So, you know, when I look at all these charts together, it, it reminds me a little bit and we're going to talk about gun polling in a minute, but it reminds me a little bit of gun polling over the years. Uh, you have you know, this is a two-way, too much or too little on the environment. On guns, there's a three-way typically. But the the percentage of people who feel that we that gun laws should be weaker is very low. But yet that group is given an, a very a much larger piece of the kind of national conversation on guns. Um, and then if you have this you know, which should we choose this or that, the environment or economic growth it, it, over time? Uh, it, it is comparable to that Pew question I complain about sometimes where, you know, should we, uh, should we um, you know, control gun ownership or protect uh, the rights of gun owners? And then if you look at all the individual policies on the environment where there, there is a party difference, I don't want to minimize it, but you have a majority of Republicans support like a lot of these things, not everything in this list, but almost all of them, a couple of them they don't, but almost all of them. It, it, that is, in fact, similar to what you would find if this was a, if we took out all these words about different environmental policies and, and changed them to different stronger gun laws, you would, fi- you could find very similar results to what this environmental chart shows. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit then about some of that gun polling. So this is stuff coming to us from, I believe this is Morning Consult. Is this right? I think um, so. Yes. And they're comparing and contrasting views about uh, the gun issue um, bef- during in the immediate aftermath of the Las Vegas shooting and the immediate aftermath of the Parkland shooting. Because I, rem- I still feel like the reaction after the Las Vegas shooting Still just like I still don't understand it. You know, you had I mean, in terms of just the sheer death count from Las Vegas, it was enormous. Yeah. The fact that we don't we still have no idea what this what the guy's motive was. I mean, there are so many things about it that are so astonishing and appalling. And yet it seemed like it immediately faded out of the news. And I remain perplexed beyond belief about that. Agreed. Um, so seeing the seeing the comparison is is interesting, right? So they're comparing, okay, support for stricter gun control right after the shooting, support for stricter gun control one month after the shooting. In the Las Vegas shooting, you saw um, gun control support was, and I, Margie, I know how you feel about the stricter gun control phrase. That's all right. In, in this, is, this is not um, even the first time today I've complained about the word gun control. Like, I, <laughs> so I hear you and I person, acknowledge you if the as person, I this shirt. If the person <laughs> I, I corrected this morning is listening, see, I told you, I said, you will not be the last person I correct for this. I promise you. And you, in fact, you were not. <laughs> um, so on this one, you know, after the Las Vegas shooting, a month after the shooting, you'd gone from 64 to 60%. So you'd seen a very small amount of attrition. And that attrition was pretty even across the board. Um, Democrats, independents, and Republicans, all their support for stricter gun control fell by three to four points across that month. For the Parkland shooting, support in the immediate aftermath, 64%, right where it was for Las Vegas. But in the month that followed, 
support actually increased. And most of that increase came among Republicans, um, where in in the Las Vegas shooting, Republicans went from 49% support to a month later, 45% support. Here they went 45% support to 51% support, went back to where they were right after the Las Vegas shooting and even up above that number. And so, look, it's just, you know, one one cross tab of one poll, but it, it to if we were looking for any evidence of like, is this time different? That to me sounds, that seems like something different. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, we didn't talk about it at the time, but I had a piece in the Hill around the time of the, of the march in DC, you know, going through particularly some of the voting uh, from among younger people that had come out. Um, there was some new polling. There was some polling a couple months ago from Harvard IOP that showed like an uptick in, in interest in uh, for stronger gun laws compared to, you know, several years before that. But there was another poll done, I think, by Time and Ipsos um, showing that Worries about gun violence are the number one concern with young people, whether under 18 or over 18. Uh, there's been other polling. After that, there's been polling. Uh, I think I've seen more recent polling with younger people. I've also seen there was also the uh, Fox News poll that came out, I think, right after the march, around the time of the march. Um, there's been quite a bit of polling. There's also the, the educator polling, the teacher poll that we did at, at our firm. Gallup did a poll of teachers and both showed something very similar that teachers were really worried about gun violence. They didn't want to be armed. Even gun-owning teachers didn't want to be armed, um, which I think is pretty interesting. So, uh, so you know, you you take all this together, and you can. I think the this time it's different in terms of the reverting to the pre-shooting uh, interest is important. Um, I you know, for me, the story of what's happening now is not just about. You know, is there new support per se? It, it you know among voters is it, it? Are we now actually talking about it? And you have politicians and you have the media talking about it in a different way. I, I see these numbers; they are different. But if the overall pattern, and obviously there's more to gun public opinion than support for stricter gun control is a question, right? There's all the different support for different kinds of messages and how important it is to people's vote and so on. And, um, y- you know, it- it's my sense that this support has been there waiting to be addressed for a long time. And now people are really addressing it more clearly. A- a- and it- I don't want to minimize the shifts that are here that other polls have also shown because I-, I do think that that's happening. But I think it's all it's also that we you know, this is a- this was an issue that that, you know, People have been buying into a myth that it was a toxic issue for Democrats, and this was an issue that Republicans had the advantage on. And and by and you know and then willing that and then allowing that myth to become reality by you know avoiding these conversations. But people actually wanted to have this conversation. So so that's what I see when I think about gun public opinion polling. Um, but but for sure, that's in addition to people feeling more activated now and and more engaged in the issue once a mass shooting has passed. Well, to end the show on a happier note, uh, today is uh, the Nationals' home opener. Baseball is upon us. I'm actually a little sad that we're doing baseball polling and not golf polling because it is also the Masters weekend. Mm. Uh, But got to give the people what they want. Baseball is America's game. It is a sport that I am significantly less familiar with than football 
So this is this is not my Kristen's uh, sports ball expertise. Does too bad you're uh, in charge of this one. <laughs> ball off here, um, but there is some polling here from Morning Consult about uh, Major League Baseball and how important are each of the following when deciding whether or not to watch a Major League Baseball game. Uh, I actually, even though I'm not a baseball expert, I feel qualified to weigh in on this poll because I'm someone who, and this is probably the, my most. This is like the greatest heresy I will ever utter. This is the thing that will go in the oppo file that will prevent me from ever being able to ever write. This is it. Like, I think baseball is boring. Um, I think sometimes it's not. I think when you care. I mean, isn't that what a lot of people think? I mean, isn't that what a lot, like, unless you're in the stadium and you get to, like, eat and jump around and stuff, isn't that, I mean, people always talk about how slow and boring it is. Well, there's not even a ton of eating, or there's tons of eating. There's not a ton of jumping around. And part of it is just that the game of baseball takes forever now. It's not that I am opposed to the concept of baseball. I actually think that the concept of the sport is awesome. And there have been moments when I have been watching, you know, the World Series with my husband, who's a big Red Sox fan, and he's super into it. And it is the tension and the level of excitement is unbelievable. If you if you're on the fence about whether you should ever care about baseball, like four days in October is the uh, 30 for 30 documentary that they did about the Red Sox coming back and the ALCS to uh, it's it's cool. So this is not a blanket statement that like baseball is bad. No, but the MLB has made changes to the sport that now it just feels like a baseball game takes forever. And there were tons of stretches oh, of time. Worse. It's gotten worse. I, I feel like it has gotten worse. I, but so what this is trying to figure out is, okay, what's going to make more people play? So if your favorite team is playing, that's a big factor. According to this poll, um, you have about 58% of people who say that that is very or somewhat important to them when deciding uh, whether or not to watch a game. What time the game is on, 53%. So, you know, the date and time of the game, is it something that is convenient to watch? Um, people don't really care that much about what network is carrying the games. Interestingly, the length of games is also not something that they people are listing as a, de- I guess not as a deterrent, but not as big of a factor in whether they, they watch it. Where for me, like the length of games is something that I just... That is a deterrent for me, but I am I am in the minority on this one, it seems. And then they said, which of the following would make you more or less likely to watch Major League Baseball games in the future? Um, the most important factors were your team is doing better. So if your team's doing badly, people don't want to watch. Uh, fewer commercials, although I feel like I file this, Margie, under the, like when I want to, on Twitter this week, I want to make a focus group bingo card things people say in focus groups that are kind of lies uh, or that like people always say. And I don't watch ads or I wish there were fewer ads. Like, obviously, people are going to say, I don't want to watch ads. Right. Um, Showing games at more convenient times, 42 percent. Shortening the games, uh, only 32 percent say that's important. Um, Higher scoring, additional measures to player safety, like actual changes in the who is playing and the what is playing are less important than the um, is the game convenient for me to watch and how's my team doing? So. My complaints about baseball, I guess, are not uh, – I'm uh, my beefs are not the, the biggest thing that drive people to watch. It's either your team is doing good or they're not doing good, and that's that's what's affecting people. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, here's what I know. All I've been following about baseball – first of all, I do like Nats Park, and I like going down to where – Nats Park is like that whole thing. Like I've been, I don't know if you've been to the wharf lately. The wharf is, you know, interesting it's to check awesome. out. 
I was there last night. It's, you know, it's, I mean, I, I'm not the, a baseball person. I go to the arena stage, but, you know, it's still fun down there. And, um, but there's all sorts of interesting stuff down there. I, uh, my main connection to the story is there is a Me Too scandal for one of the, like, big regional chefs who has a lot of food at Nats Park. And so what does that mean for Nats Park or for people who go there? And so, so one of my Facebook friends said, I love having a chicken parm sandwich from this stand. But you know what I like more than chicken parm? I like women more than chicken parm. So like, so that's that's my connection to the net to baseball right now is through the lens of, you know, me to Facebook posts. I'm sorry. That's pathetic. I know as I explain it. I, this is just where I am. I'm not a, a sports sports person. Margie, you know we're going to get on our Facebook page now angry posts that we're not a baseball show. <sighs> and what, why are we not a baseball show? I think we already had that post. You know, it's funny. So we like I posted. Oh, I should have mentioned. Maybe we'll do it another week. Um, there was an interesting story about like STEM and how men don't think that women do well in STEM, and you know, it's just some. It's a, it was kind of like a no kidding thing about how men assume women aren't very good at STEM, and it hurts women's confidence in STEM education. And we posted that, and it was just like posted without comment, like just pushed out. You know, when we see polls, we push them out on the on our channels. And the same guy who's been like, you know. G- given us like hate hate troll posts was like that you need more Phyllis Schlafly this is the kind of thing <laughs> I'm talking about like like to be kind of like mansplained about how our show needs more conservatism and that's not quite right uh, like as a comment to a post about like men assuming women aren't good at STEM was just so rich I was, I was like I don't have time to fully enjoy how ridiculous this is but, <laughs> but well, it was kind of ridiculous says is it, it reaffirms for me that I never should have broken my I don't engage rule I broke the rule and I shouldn't have and now now we can't shake this dude but it is what it is so yes well so I try I, this is what I get this is what I get for trying to engage in thoughtful productive conversation disagreeing with someone uh you <laughs> don't never, ever no do benefit. it again don't ever do never it again. again never again just yes. ignore or troll back don't ever try to actually begin by engaging in productive discussion no that's no, silly no and i should just add richard it produces a show called there's no crying in baseball which i'm assuming although i've not listened to it and and probably won't get to it since i'm clearly not a baseball person i would imagine they have better baseball commentary than my own <laughs> that that i i suspect is probably true well, what did we learn this week, Margie? Okay, so key findings. Professional help. We recommend it. Um, who knew? Uh, you know who might need some professional help? The president. But doesn't seem to be affecting his numbers, amazingly enough. And it's not just a blue wave at um, in the ballot or in the generic vote. People are looking for real change on race, the environment, and guns. And baseball, apparently, it's pretty popular. You can find us on Twitter at, at the pollsters, individually at, at Margie O'Meara and at K. Soltis Anderson. You can find us on Facebook or you can find us at www.thepolsters.com. Thanks. Bye, everybody.